0: There've been a couple times in my life where I was in a country that was a military dictatorship. I can't tell you which country it was right now, but I was in this country teaching at a university in this dictatorship. To give some contrast, Canada is a constitutional monarchy. The United States is a constitutional democracy. We have a charter of rights and freedoms. Americans have a bill of rights. The United Nations has a declaration of human rights But in this military dictatorship, the citizens had no such rights or freedoms. I can give you a couple examples. They didn't have the right to choose what they wanted to do for work. They were told, this is your job, this is when you have to work. This is how much you get to eat. They had rations. Your protein ration for one week was one egg. One egg for the whole week. I get grumpy if I can't have three eggs for breakfast. They got one egg for the whole week. These people there weren't free to choose what art they enjoyed or what art they created. It all had to be sanctioned by the state. There was an elementary school that I saw and the kids there at recess, they weren't free to play as they wished. They had to do these regimented, coordinated exercises, squats and jumping jacks and all that. When I was staying in the hotel as a teacher, there was a microphone in my room. There was a microphone above the table where we ate our meals. In the classroom where I taught in the university, there was a camera, there was a microphone, and there was a government representative sitting there in case I said anything that the state didn't approve. I wasn't even free to teach what I wanted. One experience in all of this really stuck out. We were driving a few hours out of the city, just kind of through the countryside, and you see farms and dirt and cows and dirt and rocks and farms, and it just blends in over the hours. And one thing made me snap right up to attention. In the middle of all the farms and dirt and rocks and cows, there was this big row of barbed wire fence. Fences, fence, die, dice, fences. There was a long fence of barbed wire and it had tarps up against the side of it so you couldn't see on the other side of the, the fences. I didn't care much about that, it's all good. Here's what stuck out. The barbed wire fences were tilted in a funny direction. Usually at the top of a barbed wire fence, it points outwards. So if people are trying to climb up, it's kind of hard at the top because it leans back. I have hopped fences like this, it's tricky to do. But these fences weren't pointed out. These barbed wire fences were pointed in. So they weren't trying to keep people out, they were trying to keep people in. That was very strange. If you see somewhere with fences like that, you stay out. And so I noticed that. I didn't say anything. I thought, probably not the safest question to ask. But once we were out of the country, I approached someone and I said, was that a concentration camp? They said, yes. Yes, it was. You can actually see it from Google Maps. You can see it from outer space, these camps where people are kept in slavery and oppression and forced into concentrated labor. Now, that really gives you a different perspective when you come back home of what freedom is and just the sheer size and quantity of the rights and freedoms that we have in a great country like Canada. But even in some ways, uh, not to related to a dictatorship, but in this last year, we've also lost some of our freedoms and we've had them reinstated. And that perspective has given us a new understanding on the freedoms that we have. You don't know what you've got till it's gone, to quote the theologian, Toby Mac. So today we're gonna be talking about freedom. We're gonna be talking about freedom and slavery. Paul uses this language, this imagery a lot. We're gonna be looking at what does the Bible say freedom is compared to what do we think it is today? How do we use it? How do we misuse it? This is kind of one of the main themes of chapter six. How do we live out this new identity that we have? So before we begin, I just wanna refresh, recap really quickly what we've covered so far. Right at the beginning of chapter six, Paul was making this claim about who we are now that we have received right standing with God. And the question we answered was this, why can't I do what I want? Why can't I do whatever I want? If I'm freed from the eternal consequences of my sin, why can't I dive headlong back into it and still live in it as freely as I wish? We gave two answers. One, that's not you anymore. That was you. That's not who you are now because you're no longer a slave to sin. It no longer dominates you. It's not your master. Last week, we looked at the question, how do I walk in these new patterns of life when I still have old habits of sin? I know that I'm a new creation, but I have many of my old appetites, habits, dispositions, and desires of my life before I was with Jesus. So how do I walk in this new pattern? We looked at a couple things as well. One, don't serve a dying master. Don't serve it. Two, focus on your direction, not your perfection. This quote by John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's strong language, killing. But don't get comfortable with it. Last week, uh, in the middle of the night, there was this huge thump from the living room. It was so loud, it woke up the dog. He was freaking out, woke up my wife. She said, what, what was that? And I didn't say anything. I just stood up and walked out into the living room. We didn't rock, paper, scissors. We didn't talk about, okay, it's your turn to attack the burglar this week. I walked out fully prepared to meet whatever was in that living room, because I'm I'm ready to stop anything that's gonna harm my family, wife and dog. Now, it's, it's interesting that I feel that default disposition to be protective and to attack whatever's harming my family, but I don't view the fact that my sin will harm my family and the people I love far more than any one burglar or thump in the night. So we don't get comfortable with our cancer. We don't cuddle with our killer. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So we looked at two things. We're a new people Uh, what am I saying? We are a new people. New people walk in new ways. And today we're going to be seeing that this new walk is marked by a new master, a new master. I remember as a kid, always kind of feeling cheated by this when I heard this concept brought up. People would say in church, it is for freedom that you have been set free. You are free now. I'm free. You're free to be a slave to Christ. Excuse me? You're free from your sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. Uh, I don't don't know if I want that kind of freedom, if this freedom is also slavery. It's kind of like when a phone company says, free phone with a 10-year contract. Ah, that free phone's not so appealing. Or you, you go to a concert and they say, this concert is free with a minimum donation. I would always argue with these people. I'd say, okay, well, it's not free then. They would say, oh, it's free if you donate a minimum of $20. And I would argue, and say, well, if you understand price as the conditions of the contract to be met and these conditions are giving $20, then actually this price is $20. I should have been an attorney. What am I doing here? But the question we're trying to answer today is this. How am I considered free if I'm a slave to righteousness? am I considered free if I'm a slave? What kind of freedom is this? This is what Paul's going to be answering for us today in Romans chapter 6. Would you turn with me to verse 15? <clears throat> what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. This looks really similar to how the start of chapter 6 opens, right? It says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. The difference is this. Chapter 6, verse 1, at the opening was the question about, should we sin in order to gain more grace? Chapter 5 says, where there's a lot of sin, a lot of grace comes in. And if you think, well, grace is a good thing, so I should sin more so I can get more grace. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, no way. This is a little bit different. In verse 14, if you remember from last week, it says, we are no longer under law, we are under grace. So this question is asking this, should we continue to sin now that we have grace? I have God's grace in my life. Should I continue on sinning? Paul says, by no means, no way at all. We're gonna come back to this. Let's keep reading in verse 16. Do you not know, don't you know, that if you present yourselves to anyone, let's do present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, this is option number one, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there's an interesting relationship that Paul is spelling out here. What we present ourselves to and what we are a slave of. This is interesting because it's, it's very, very different than how we understand freedom today what Paul is saying smacks right in the face of two things really, an understanding of what it means to be human and what freedom is. This is very different than how we understand it today. Let me give you the the main idea of this relationship and then we're gonna tease out three points from it. Paul is saying this, habitually presenting yourself to something makes you a slave of it. Habitual obedience constitutes or leads to a condition of slavery. So here's three things we can learn from that. One, everybody serves something. Everybody serves something. At the very beginning of chapter six, when it said, shall we uh, continue in sin so that grace may abound, Paul is pushing back against this error, this heresy of antinomianism. Anti-nomos, nomos Nomos is Greek for law or moral code. Anti-nomos is no law or no code. Should we just do whatever we want now that we're free from the law? Paul says by no means. Today, Paul is pushing back at the error, the mistake, the illusion of autonomy. Autonomy, that's a current word. Autonomy is two words, auto-nomos. Auto means self, autopilot, self-piloted. Autonomos is self-law. Do we get to make the calls? Do we get to call the rules? Do we get to do what we want? Paul says, by no means. Our modern understanding of freedom, to to paint with a broad brush, it usually constitutes, if you were to ask someone on the street, what do you think freedom is? And they would say, well, it's probably the absence of constraint, the absence of inhibiting forces, being able to do what you want. That's how we would describe it today. There's a a great poem called Invictus. It says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am free to be myself. There are no norms, there are no forms. The only rules out there are, you know, man-made laws and social constructs that are kind of getting in the way of me being awesome. And if we could just get rid of laws and get rid of parents, everything would be cool. That's the premise of Jimmy Neutron, if you remember that classic of Western art. In science, In the field of science, uh, sometimes they use this term called vacuum. And a vacuum is a space that's devoid of any matter or air. It's empty. There's nothing in it. That's what a vacuum is. Paul is making this claim that freedom, liberation, it's not a moral vacuum. It's not a space empty of any types of rules or structures or forms itself. Everybody serves something. That's really the takeaway. We could put this language in terms of worship. Worship is ascribing worth, worth Everybody worships something. Everybody serves something. We vote with our feet, we vote with our time, we vote with our dollars. Are you serving yourself? Are you serving finances? Are you serving power or attraction? What do you serve? The second point of this that Paul points out is, Whatever you serve is your ruler. That's what we see in 16. Do you not know? If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of this one whom you obey. This is what we talked about last week. Where are you presenting yourself? How are you presenting yourselves? You're loyal to it. Consider the workaholic. If you are a workaholic, you can't stop working and work is your master. You're not free to go home and spend time with your spouse because you have to work. You're not free to spend time with your family because you have to work. You're not free to come and worship on a Sunday. You're not free throughout the week to spend time with the body of Christ because you have to work. Work is your master and it beats you like a slave. Let's say that your master is money, wealth or finances. Your God is money. You're a lover of money. All of your decisions are based upon profits. You're not free to love people. You don't use money to love people. You use people to love money. The master is the dollar. For some people, their master is a someone. Someone whose approval that you need. Maybe it's codependency. You need to be needed. I am a good savior and I need you to need me. The alcoholic is not free. We use the phrase, they're a slave to the bottle. The drug addict is a slave to the high. If anyone or anything but Jesus is over you in your life, it stands over you. God stands over that and he will judge that in due time. The question for you is this, do you know what you serve? If you don't, you're in a dangerous position. Paul's saying here, it's not if you serve, but what? What do you serve? And the third takeaway is this, there are only two options for rulers. There's only two, either sin, which leads to death, Or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Doug Moo, Douglas Moo, he's a great commentator that I pull a lot of my uh, sermon content from. He says this very boldly. One is never free from a master. And those non-Christians, non-believers who think they are free are under an illusion created and sustained by Satan. It's very strong. But the choice is not, should I retain my freedom or give it up and follow God? That's not what the choice is. It's, should I follow sin or should I follow Jesus? You're either under law or under grace. Let me put it this way. We think of ourselves as autonomous and free beings. There's only two options for us. Before we were under law, you minus Jesus is judgment. Those under law are under judgment. We have been set free from this. Now we are under grace. Now you plus Jesus now equals blessing. Over your life, you could have Jesus as your master. Perhaps you're not a Christian, you hear this and you think, that sounds weird, I don't want some Middle Eastern guy from 2,000 years ago to be over my life. I wanna be my own master. Here's the truth. Jesus has a better plan for your life than you do. I said that. Jesus has a better plan for your life than you do. He's a better leader of your life than you are. Jesus has better intentions for you than you do. Can I I ask a, a probing question? Who has let you down? Who has misguided you? Who has lied to you more times than you have? If you really know and have experienced and trust Jesus, you know this, it's much better having Him in charge of your life than it is yourself. We still make money, we still go to work, we still enjoy these benefits, but we enjoy it under Jesus. Jesus, this is your money, how do you want me to use it? You say that I need to rest one day a week? Okay, I'm gonna do that. You say this is how I approach X, Y, or Z? I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm under you now, I'm not under sin. You say that the fear of man is a trap in Proverbs 29, 25? Okay, well, I'm gonna steer clear of that then. I'm not gonna follow that, I'm gonna follow you. We think that if we just got what we wanted, our life would be good. The truth is this. Even when we get what we want, our life is still bad because even a decent person is a bad master. So how can I be considered free if I'm a slave to righteousness? This is the takeaway. Everybody serves something. Autonomy, autonomos, self-law, it's an illusion. It's an ignorant one at that. I think it's the Achilles heel of our age. And situations like COVID can almost serve as a Babel kill switch to remind us that we are not autonomous, rational, independent individuals standing buffeted against the face of the cosmos. Rather, we are creatures of habit and desire, always serving something through patterns of worship. So let's continue on to verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were... Once slaves of sin became, this is the the most important part, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Standard of teaching, all of the Christian teachings, the habits, the lifestyles, God's word, the attestation of the spirit. We've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of sin righteousness. I love this wording of obedience from the heart. It shows us our first point. You serve what you love. You serve what you love. God's grace, it's it's not only a liberating power, but it's also a constraining power. It's the willing obedience that comes from the renewed heart, the new nature, and ultimately the impulse to follow the leading of God's spirit. The freedom of the Christian then, it's not the freedom to do what we want. It's the freedom to do what we ought. It's the freedom to obey God joyfully, willfully, faithfully as well. We're free now to live out the best thing for us, the purpose for our lives. The question is, uh, is usually asked, what's, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? You get a couple degrees of philosophy. This question comes so much. Everybody asks it. It's some Fortune Cookies, Oprah, Dr. Phil. They're all asking the same question. The Westminster Catechism answers this question. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And now that we are free from our sin, we are free to enjoy God and glorify him forever. So this is the difference between freedom is me doing what I want and freedom is me doing what God wants. Now that we're in Christ, these become the same thing. It's no longer my desires versus God's. Now the Spirit's desires become my own. I ought not to sin and instead glorify him forever. So this is why uh, Christian freedom is a type of slavery because being bound to God, his spirit indwelling us is what enables us to be the person that God wants us to be. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God looks greatest when you find him the most satisfying thing. Uh, in, In the book Desiring God, John Piper, he talks about this concept for a couple hundred pages. I really love that book. He says this, God is not worshipped where he is not treasured and enjoyed. So God's greatness and your flourishing, now they're no longer in competition with each other. It's merciful of God to ask obedience of us because it's the only thing that will satisfy us, a.k.a. him and his commandments and the life that he has made for us. So the pursuit of joy in God in the Christian life, it's not optimal. It's not this extra step. It's not this extra phase. Obedience is from the heart. This is why we say that the Christian life is not what we have to do. It's what we get to do. At the start of chapter six, I kind of gave a teaser of of what we were going to be talking about. And this is it. That the secret to Christian holiness is not more rules or no rules. It's more relationship. The motivation for holiness is not fear of what God's going to do to me. It's love for what God has done to me. You will do more for love than you will for fear. You will do more for relationship than you will for rules. It's what we get to do. This is like uh, if I get a call from my wife and she says, hey, can you do something for me? Say, okay, can you pick up a couple steaks for tonight for dinner? Yes, yes, I can do that. And, and can you pick out uh, a movie for us to watch? Yeah, okay, okay, no problem. Fast and Furious, here we go. Which one? All of them, don't make me choose between my babies. <laughs> but this is the Christian life now. How am I considered free when I'm a slave to righteousness? New freedoms bring new frameworks. New freedoms bring new frameworks. Freedom does not exist in a moral vacuum. Last week, we talked about the Emancipation Proclamation and the United States and the slaves being freed. They weren't free into just a open space. They were free into a country with pre-existing rules and codes. We were freed from slavery and brought into now the kingdom of heaven. And there's a king in the kingdom of heaven and his name is Jesus. So what does this mean for you? So a couple things this means for you. One, it means this, you don't need to obey to be saved. We couldn't obey, that's why we were saved. You don't need to obey to be saved, but you do need to obey to be free. You do need to obey to be free. We need to love God more and love sin less. This is the struggle, the fight for faith, The fight for the Christian life is seeing God as all satisfying and seeing sin for what it is. You can see this long thread throughout Christian theology and philosophy. You can see James K.A. Smith, John Piper. This goes to Charles Spurgeon, to Blaise Pascal. C.S. Lewis is in there. Goes to Apostle Paul and Jesus himself. So what are a couple quick tips? How do we learn to love God more and hate sin more? First is this, honest confession. Of whenever we go back to serving our old master our old dying master in confession we don't just confess to a wall or to a tree we confess in community this is like what we said last week how are you presenting yourself are you in community second point is this a fresh surrender of our members to god himself what are the the, the members of the body involved your mind your ears your tongue your hands are we surrendering this part of ourselves over to god as well and finally A fresh rehearsal of these truths that we've seen in Romans 6. We have a new identity. We're not slaves to sin. We don't serve an old master. We focus on our direction and not our perfection. So far we have learned three grand truths in the book of Romans chapter six. One, we are new people. Two, new people walk in new ways. And three, this new walk is marked by a new master. So now the Christian has capacity for both, both for obeying God or obeying sin. Before I was not free from my sin, but now sin is optional. Slavery to sin is not my default. I'm free from that as well. We have the capacity to sin, but Christians now no longer have the necessity to sin. How am I considered free if I'm a slave to righteousness? New freedoms bring new frameworks. And these new frameworks do not enslave us and harm us, but they liberate us and they free us, free to be who we ought to be as those who love God and enjoy Him forever.